One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. Very, very excited to have you guys along. It's just going to be me today. We've got lots to talk about um, and uh, put together a show uh, really around uh, how to get better agile design with with value-based delivery. I, I teased this a little bit last week. Um, first, you know, we had a pretty big announcement from R-Squared Consulting, my, my consulting firm. Uh, on February 3rd, we were officially open for 10 years. Um, and so that's that's a, a pretty exciting metric, especially most, you know, small business owners. Uh, really about 40% of, of businesses make it past, you know, one to three years. Uh, so to be open for 10 years and to continue to to uh, uh, generate an income this way is, has been a blessing and, and it's absolutely been a roller coaster ride. I can guarantee you that, but it's it's been an absolute blessing. And really, you know, in the last you know couple of years, we really started to work with organizations in improving their their agile practice. But almost every time that that I'm asked to come in to look at an agile practice, really it doesn't have much to do with agile. It, it has a whole lot to do with the connection of what we're trying to deliver to the business outcome that we're driving. And so I work with a lot of organizations to help them walk through this framework uh, that, that I'm about to discuss here on the show. Um, you know, there, there's several different versions of, of it out there, uh, but let's just get the, the basics itself down. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, study from, from Forrester uh, has come out that said that firms – uh, or companies made only 45% of their business decisions using any kind of quantitative information and analysis versus 55% of their decisions were, were based on gut feeling or opinions. And, and the primary cause of this gap is a lack of alignment on business outcomes between what the line of business is wanting to accomplish, business insights, and technology teams. So first, I mean, if we, if we look at this and start to unpack this a bit, what it means is, you know, for so long, you know, uh, business has been driving IT in the sense that they, they feel they need something and uh, so they go out and, and do an RFP, they, they choose a vendor and they implement this big old solution. What we don't really know is what are the questions that we're trying to answer in, in order to do something like that? So I'll give you a, a, a perfect example, real, real life example. Um, we've got, we're, we're helping an organization, they're building a, a a huge data warehouse, um, and, and it's all intended to become you know best in class and to be able to make analytics-driven decisions. Well, when when you start to look at metrics, and you start to look at things that we're going to be delivering in that, um, you know, one of the the deliverables, it's the one I pick on all the time, says you know we want a two percent net sales lift um, in, in using analytics. We we think that we can get two percent more sales. To do that, that's going to be a great measurement. Hopefully, that'll go to five. Um, but then from there, that just kind of gets passed down to the team. And then the team's supposed to figure out, you know, what technology are we going to implement to help uh, build a 2% net sales lift? And, and, and so there's a huge disconnect. And what, what ends up happening then is, is you start to derive descriptive analytics versus really building out um, 
you know, predictive analytics. And so, you know, what I watch organizations do is they start to run a series of reports and dashboards. You know, you look at statuses, you look at general numbers, but these reports and dashboards don't really um, help you make decisions. They help you understand progress. Um, But I'm, you know, my first question, anytime I have a report or a dashboard is what, what specific question am I trying to answer? So if we go back to the 2% net sales lift, I'll, I'll walk you through what we're talking about in the first por- portion of this framework, which is we, we've got to, as a business and as a business line, pick a question, pick a way in which we can measure the result for what we're going to go after. So you can't just say 2% net sales lift because what if like one of your big customers all of a sudden just puts in a huge order that was unexpected? Well, there's your 2%. But is that really what we're trying to do? Is it really a 2% net sales lift? And so as I started working with one of my customers, they, they, they said, well, you know, we want to have local market plans. We, we found that you know, if we do a local market plan, we can see a 3x uh, revenue jump in, in the size of the order. And so you start going, okay, well, what makes up a local market plan? Well, you know, we don't know. Okay, well, what do you want to do with that? Well, we need to build this big data warehouse so that um, – we can connect all the data and find out what we can use for a local market plan. And I'm like, yeah, but we, we can't, th- th- that's the issue, right? You can't just say, well, give me all the data and then I'll make a decision. It's what decision are we trying to make and let you get, let's get you that data as we continue to build, right? That's where you start to get agile is, you know, let's pick two or three questions that we really want to go after and answer, um, find a metric and go from there. So I started asking more questions. I was like, well, you know, for local market plans, what if we, you know, how many, how many accounts does each sales rep have? And they said, well, they've got 60 accounts. I said, well, why don't we clean up those 60 accounts, model that and see what we can do with the local market plan. And a better business question got, got asked from the business. They said, well, how do we know those are the best 60 accounts for the salesperson to have? I was like, oh, that's, that's a fantastic question. So let's start peeling that back. What equals a good account? What equals a good prospect? what data would we want to provide in order to start to determine what the best 60 accounts are in a region for us to go after? And so to me, that's when we start to really get into what is it that we're doing? It's not give me all the data so I can make a decision. It's, it's let's start having more targeted questions and see if we can answer those. And, and quite frankly, what you do is before you even start to commit resources and IT resources and building systems, is to prove out a theory. So if you take a theory and say, we feel like if we can identify 10 key pieces of information, provide that for an entire area for a sales rep, we can help drive uh, a better selection of the 60 accounts. Well, perfect. So let's do that. Let's, let's just go start manually collecting everything, see what we have available, decide what is valuable and not valuable, prove the theory, let them go ahead and attack a couple of those accounts and see what the results are. And then once we have that, then we know what the business value is that we're driving before we start to spend a, a tremendous amount of money. And, and, and it sounds very simple, um, but, um, you know, it, it, it takes practice into in getting to that question. So I'll, g- I'll give you another great uh, example working with another firm and they said, hey, um, we'd like to see uh, 25% more engagement in our web traffic. 
And I was like, okay, that's good. And, and they felt they were solid because they had that metric of 25%. I said, okay, what does that mean? And they said, well, we figure that, you know, if we can increase our web traffic by 25%, that'll equal more sales. And I was like, okay, so is the metric that we're going after the number of people that engage or is the metric that we're going after is how many of the people that engaged bought? And if so, how much did they buy? Right? Because if I have those answers, then we can start to say, how do we increase the, the average sale price? How do we uh, increase the, the um, conversion rate of somebody who's visiting the web, website versus somebody who's buying? I said, because if you just want 25% more users, right, I can pay three interns and they can just sit there and bang on the website all day. That's not, that's not what we're going after. What we're going after is conversion rates and, and revenue. So it's, it's learning how to take a step back and start to ask, you know, better questions. And so teams that, that, um, that are more successful in driving more actions from data to insights use a specific framework to set their goals and metrics. And, and what that does is it helps us, you know, have clear alignment around a tight set of goals, which is really, you, you really don't want more than, than three or five uh, business questions. So step one we need to define each one of the business goals so that we can monitor it, but, but even better, continuously improve it. So, so what happens is, you know, generally like a, in your, in your high level C-suite, they'll, they'll go out and, and give you a series of goals, a series of things that they want to do. But the further down in the hierarchy you go, the more metrics will stray from or lose connection with, with the customer value that we're trying to do. So, like no one team below the C-level has a goal that simply, you know, reads increase revenue or, or drive sales. But a team level goal could read, we're going to increase revenue by doing X, right? And then you can finish that sentence by naming both a numeric value and an action that the team owns the budget for that, that drives the customer value. So coming back to the example here, we could say, that we are going to connect these five databases, clean these accounts, and drive these 10 metrics so that our sales team can build local market plans, helping them identify a better 60 clients than the current, or, you know, the, the best mix of their 60 accounts. Boom. Then you start to say, okay, well, let's look at the revenue generated by any accounts we selected through this process to see if they're a better customer or if it was net new or what the impact was. So now we could say, all right, we drove 1% of net sales growth by doing local market plans. So then the next step is, you know, how do we drive, say, a marketing campaign, um, you know, based on what's a good cross-sell, upsell? Like, I've, I've, heard, I've heard executives tell me that. I was like, well, what do you want to do? Well, we want to cross-sell and upsell. Yeah, but what? Like, we have to be able to say, you know, in areas in, in which there's a penetration of the market of X um, and we already have them with product A, we need to be able to offer product B and we see that mixture uh, driving a higher revenue gen. It's not just, well, cross-sell, upsell. We'll just do it all, right? Give us all the information. Tell us what to do. It, we, we've got to have a question to answer in order for us to to go through that. And it's not it's not a linear process, right? We don't go from goal to questions, uh, questions to identifying, you know, how we're going to track it and how we track it down to, you know, the data that does it. But it is, it is through that session between your IT and agile teams with your business teams 
that can get these questions answered much better. So that's the beginning of the framework. When we come back after break, we'll, we'll start talking about uh, the questions, again, and how to get to the metrics. Um, but uh, this is all around value-based design and how to really build better agile teams and, and outcomes by going through this process. So we'll be right back after we take a break. You're listening to Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to this Friday afternoon edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about um, you know better agile design with value-based delivery. Um, and, and really... You know, uh, I, I got a, a question on the break there going, you know, what what methodology of Agile do I subscribe to? And, and I'm going to answer that with it, it doesn't matter because this the framework that I'm talking about right now um, has nothing to do. Is It's not even really a, a methodology. It's a framework. It's, it's, it's making sure that we understand um, what we're going after and how we're going to do it. So, um, you know, the first 
issue is really defining better goals, right? So I, I see goals like, um, uh, you know, we, we want to, to grow revenue or we want to get all the data for a full customer view or we want to be more data driven. Um, but those are aspirations, right? They, 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 they're, they're not really approaches or techniques to achieve those goals. Those are kind of the outcomes that we're hoping for. And so if you take, you know, one of the, the, the most popular um, key performance indicators that drives outcomes is most organizations want to grow revenue. And, and they say that growing revenue or finding new customers or whatever it is, is, is you know, the path to success, of course, right? Get bigger, grow more. Um, but a goal of grow revenue has got to align to a specific path to revenue. And, and it, it's just, as, it, it's not about just growing all revenue. It's about being selective, being laser focused, and then determining if the effort put into it was worth the value on the outcome. Um, and so, for instance, you know, if you think of like a marketer, right, a business to business marketer, you know, they, they don't just say grow revenue. It's more specific, like uh, driving net new customer acquisition from a specific industry or driving a specific percentage of upsell and renewal revenue for a named customer segment in a business line. It's, it's very targeted uh, of, of how we're going after the goal. Once we have the goal, then the, the next step is to, is to generate um, between two and four questions for each of your goals. So the purpose of each question is to articulate one specific way that your company will achieve the goal. So um, again, I've seen you know, people say, uh, uh, you know, increase online sales uh, for the next quarter. Um, I'd rather see increase online sales by 10% in the next quarter going after A, B, and C. But then you can start to generate some valid questions around the goals so that we can make the decision of what to attack. Like, you know, what is the current trend in dollar value and channel for online sales versus the previous quarter? So where are we today? Um, and then you can start to uh, you know, build a path to what the future is. So when you ask these questions, you know, we want to measure where we are, but then we can develop a list of measurements that will answer the question and each metric reported on such as like, you know, overall revenue or average order size or card abandonment rate and percentage of purchases by channel can, can help drive the direction or decisions that we're going. So it's very important that when we're generating these questions that we're developing the questions um, so that we can validate that our goal itself is actionable, that we actually can do something about it, that we can take action and, and fix something. Um, and so you, you, you must measure something that team members participating um, in doing work can, can take action on. So, um, you know, again, if, if we're looking at, you know, increasing uh, sales uh, by channel, we can focus on either, you know, customer experience or customer service or product information or supply chain. But it, you'll find that there's some goals that, that are not actionable. And so what we need to do is, is start to brainstorm against those to where we actually have actionable items. And one of the key actionable items is that we have questions and metrics that make sense for the firm, right? So, um, you know, it, it, co coming back to, you know, what's the best 60 accounts? Well, I think it's important for us to understand, 
you know, what, what a great account looks like. What is the revenue split? What are the upsell opportunities? What is, right? And, and you, you start to hone in on a couple of metrics. Well, if, if you take like a, a marketing piece where we say, you know what, we're, we're going to focus on this one specific area with this one specific need. We're going to do this one specific thing. What you're doing is then really kind of beta testing your, your outcomes and if you see a net lift, then you can roll that out completely. But it allows us to, to pivot and change in a, in a faster direction than in standard projects, right? Standard project says, all right, we're going to put it in a data warehouse. Um, we've got to connect everything, build everything, do everything at once, clean up all the accounts, and then we'll be ready. Well, now that you're ready, what are you going to do with it, right? Versus... Why are we going to connect these three accounts? Well, are these three databases? Well, it's because we need A, B, and C, and we've proven that if we put A, B, and C in our salesperson's hands, they're getting an average, uh, you know, nine percent lift on on their overall order. You go, okay. Well, well, now that we know that, if we're anticipating, say, a five percent lift across the board, you know how much value that's going to generate to the organization. So, if you get a bill that's, you know just 20% of that value, then it's worth the, the investment for the organization. But I see so many organizations go into something like this without understanding that value. So then it just becomes about cost. And if it's only about cost, then you start making trade-off decisions that may harm the, the future business value of the product. Um, I see that in, in project management systems all the time where um, it, it's all about the, the implementation cost, not the value or, you know, rev gen or, or, or um, the, the productivity gains, right? And so, because those aren't quantified and we don't know a dollar value, then we don't know what a dollar value is to affix to the implementation. Uh, one of my favorite questions, um, something that, I, that I've heard, you know, my mentor, John Maxwell, say that, that I've turned into a question when we start to look at IT purchase and IT value. You know, John talks about, he had heard, um, I believe it was, it was Earl Nightingale say, you know, if you, if you uh, do so, if, if you uh, read something every day or, or, you know, spend two hours every day uh, on a topic in five years, you'll be an expert. Or it's an hour every day. An hour every day for five years, you'll be an expert. And John Maxwell wanted to be an expert in leadership, so he was spending his time. But his question was, how fast? You know, how fast until I'm an expert? How fast until I'm an expert? He was about two and a half years into the journey when that question changed with not how fast can I reach an end goal, but how far can I take it? And, and I internalized that and I started talking to organizations because when you're looking at, you know, purchasing, you know, an IT system and implementing it, the question's always, you know, how fast can we do it? How, fa- how cheap and how fast can we implement that? And, and the question really is, how far will this take our business? And if we continue to make investments, how much further will it take? But inevitably, what happens is they set, they affix some value. So they say, okay, $100,000 we think is, is the budget for this. And as they hit $100,000, they realize there's another $20,000 of spend out there. So they start you're going, oh, that's too much. We can't do this. We can't do that. And then you start arbitrarily, you know, knocking down the value of the tool. And then when people don't use the tool the way that we anticipated, we say there's no value and that becomes a bad spend, bad project. What we're trying to do in, you know, forming the questions and metrics 
is understand that the metrics are going to work before we commit the resources and the time. But if I already saw, you know, let's say, you know, we, we're, we see a $100,000 lift every time we do something, we can do it 15 times, so that's 1.5 million, but it's going to cost us 400000 to do it. I don't know anybody who wouldn't spend $400,000 for a $1.5 million return. So it's, it's being able to quantify that in a way so that we understand what our risk tolerance is to make great decisions. So you really go through two main steps so far, right? You have your goal and what is it that we're trying to go after? And then we start to ask questions that become actionable things that we can do. And really, it serves as a hypothesis. And what we want to be able to do is, is validate that hypothesis so that we can start to uh, select and design specific metrics and even more so um, learn how to attach metrics to the outcomes so that we understand that it's the result of this work. So, for instance... You know, if we're doing a 2% net sales lift, we're going after the 60 accounts, we've determined, you know, these are the new accounts that we've picked up. We've got to have a way to flag those so that, again, a big order from somewhere else doesn't, doesn't jeopardize the metric. We, we have to be mindful going into it, going, how are we going to identify a sale from one of these accounts that we've selected so that we truly can measure the value of the process that we did? And the 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 worst part that I see most organizations do is they pick a technology, they don't have a specific use, they put it in, and then they don't know how to measure the value. So therefore, the product was bad. No, 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 the product is fine. Software doesn't really fail. It's always the implementation use and readiness of that software that really will improve you know, the, the overall outcome. But if we don't know what question to answer, giving me a ton of data uh, doesn't necessarily formulate a better question. It just confuses or muddies the waters about what it was that I was going to answer in the first place. So when we come back, we're going to talk about driving then to the specific metrics and then how we take those metrics um, and, and build measurements all the way through so that you have your complete design um, in this piece. So we've gone from goal to question. We're going to get to metric and data uh, on the other side of this break. You're listening to Rick Morris, The Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader 
with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're going through a framework that I lead a lot of my clients through in solving some pretty big issues and complex issues. Um, And so we've gone through goals. Um, So set more specific goals. Then you go to what are the three or four business questions we're trying to answer um, or that we can track in order to validate that that the goal is actionable and that we can actually complete it. So the third step then is to um, identify the metric that you're going to to use to track. Um, So, and you know, it's, it's okay, but most organizations won't have a metric or understand the metric um, that they're they're wanting to track. So it, it's it's something that we see often, but we want to make sure that um, that we're not simply reporting a metric because they're easily available. So again, you know, sales numbers. If I'm if I'm driving a two percent net sales growth. Um, not everything that we're selling is going through this new process. So how do we identify what we did and, and how we're going to, to measure against that? So, um, you know, firms at the early stages of maturity, um, they'll, they'll use whatever their tools or, or platforms generate out of the box. Uh, but many of them aren't really meaningful um, or they're used in isolation or they're used to build a, a, a problem statement, but there's really no connection to uh, – you know, customer experience or value that enables actions by firms. So, you know, using the the sales one where they said, "Well, we want twenty five percent more site visits," um, that 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 doesn't really enable action, right? What do we want to do when we get there? Um, so, what we really want to start to do is look at combining metrics across organizational silos. Um, so, so for instance, um, you know when you look at like a Southwest airlines, right. And they're consistently named uh, as a top North American airline and customer satisfaction. They, they pull together cross silo data for continuous improvement. So they look at uh, social marketing. Um, they, they have a single Twitter, Twitter handle um, that, that will uh, 
drive and, and signal one face to the customer, both internally and externally. Uh, the teams monitor metrics for services, you know, time to agent response, uh, conversation handle time, uh, customer reaction to those times. Um, things, you know, they're, they're looking across all of these things so that they can understand when something is improving or declining against that metric, and then they know the specific action that they can take to, to help that. Um, I always uh, I always laugh because uh, this is a framework I've, I've used almost my entire career. I just didn't know it was a framework. But I remember, um, you know, in the early 2000s, doing a big website prod project, and, you know, they, they said, well, we want it to be faster. I was like, cool. I was like, but don't you think we ought to have some sort of metric or measurement against that? They're like, no, we just want it faster. And I was like, so if it's point zero 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 one second faster, do I win? Or are we saying that the current, right, again, currently it takes four seconds to load. We'd like that to be two seconds. Like we have to be very specific so, so that we know we're going after, uh, you know, specific results. Um, and we want to be wary of poor use uh, of metrics that game the system. Um, you know, n- n- nothing better that, than, you know, the, these organizations that kind of float these statistics out there to prove their value of worth, but they're, they're not real, right? They're gaming the system. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example there. You know, I was at Xerox and um, a long time ago, it, 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 we were, our metric of measurement of value was, you know, uh, total sales. Uh, so um, we all hit our total sales targets, but none of us were billable. And so they started to say, well, we want you to still have sales, but 30% of your time has to be billable. Well, again, since we were making the sale, we just peeled off the first 30% of the hours to us and the rest of the team, and we hit our targets. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what we want. We we, we really want, um, you know, sales plus, you know, billable plus, you know, all these things. And so by the time I left Xerox, we had like the, the – I had to take a protractor out and, and read smoke signals to figure out all the different metrics that, that we had to hit in order to achieve our bonus. But, but the point being is you want to be careful that those metrics really can't be gained, uh, gamed and, and that, you know, it, it's truly an incentive and measure. Um, you know, one of my favorites uh, that, that people use all the time is customer satisfaction surveys. And so this theory for me goes all the way back um, to, to early IT days. Um, I always said that 2%, you know, uh, of something's going to go wrong, but generally all the executives here is the 2%. So you've got to have a way to represent the other 98%. So I would walk into a service desk area that was failing uh, and IT technicians that, that were failing. And all I heard was the problems. I was like, so what goes right? Like what percentage of the day-to-day interactions that we have are positive versus negative. And so when you take control of metrics like that and start to really work through them, then you can show what's really happening around improvement. So for instance, again, the service desk thing, I said every interaction is going to be followed up with a survey. And any negative survey, I will personally respond to and find out what happened um, and, and you know build a process to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Um, and if anybody calls and complains, my first question is, did you get a survey? And so we start driving people to it. Um, and then we would report um, also on service level agreements. But what's interesting is in a customer environment, 
unless you have explicit service level agreements, then you have to live with the implicit results of, you know, what, what's happening. So, for example, if I say, hey, I'm going to be right over. Well, what does that mean? Like to you, you may have said, okay, he's actually right now on his way. For me, that could mean tomorrow at three. To me, that's what right. So, unless we're defining what right over means and, and building an expectation to where we're explicit, then we have to live with the implicit results. Um, and, and, you know, customer surveys, for crying out loud, you know, we get a survey for everything. In fact, uh, at, at the end of the show, if, if you'll just answer a quick three-question survey so we can monitor how it's going, right? Everybody's doing surveys. Um, why I, I've never really believed in surveys is I knew how to, to not work around the system, but to set an expectation. Again, using the explicit versus implicit, you know, the, when you give somebody a survey, you know, you have some people out there that go, well, nobody's ever perfect. So nobody ever gets, you know, if it's a scale of one to five, nobody ever gets a five. Well, I remember um, one of the, the metrics I had at Xerox what was around our customer survey. And so what would happen is I knew at the end of the project or the end of the activity that I was doing for a client that they would receive a survey. So going in, when I met with them for the first time, I started with that. I said, okay, so at the end of this, you're going to be presented a survey. I actually get incentivized based on that survey. So between one and five, can you define a five for me? And as long as you and I agree that I do that, then I deserve the five at the end of this. The reason why I tell that story is, is it became a legendary story that, that we had a very difficult client in, in Louisiana. And she consistently gave ones and twos on surveys. And uh, I did a, like a six-month project for her, and I got straight fives. And immediately started getting phone calls from executives going, how did you get this lady to, to give you a five? And I said, I, I defined it before I started. I simply asked her what a five was. She told me. And as a matter of fact, when, when she started to fill it out, she gave me a four. And I was like, wait a minute, right? Why, why a four, not a five? I thought we defined a five. I believe I hit that. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I got straight fives. But that's, that is not a, a great metric to use to build business practices, right? So surveys, you, you got to be careful that, that if there's poor use of, of, of valid metrics, it, it, it turns out to game the system. So once you have your metrics, so uh, again, you've got a goal, you've designed a question, you now have identified a metric in which you're going to use to track that. And that, you know, obviously you want to baseline that metric. So you want to go ahead and take the measurement of the metric today. So the next thing you do then is start to finally build the data process around it. So as you build out the goals, you know, questions, metrics, it's now time to write, to, to start getting into the data and, and the most popular thing that, that I suggest for organizations is to have a pilot as kind of a proving methodology, even if it requires manual work with the data, even if we're saying, okay, here's the list. Now, we're going to want to connect it to this list, and then we're going to want to do this. Go ahead and do that, right? Because if you can spin up a very well-crafted, even small-scale pilot that proves specific impact, then this demonstrates to the employees at all levels, everybody working on it, that, that what we're doing has value and can lead to a new way of working. But, you know, a lot of times you'll hit roadblocks because of a lack of data, which just simply means we've got to define a better way to track it. 
And so if you encounter a roadblock that, that's caused by data that you, you need or you don't have, then we really need to start looking at as an organization to confirm, you know, that there's no workaround. Like what other metrics or questions can we be asking? But, or we go ahead and say now that's the first piece of work is develop or identify um, how we're going to track this from a data perspective. And so keep in mind, though, as, as you're going through this, um, you're asking a lot of employees, whatever their level of ro- or role, to do something differently. Um, but explicitly or implicitly, you must orient your approach to driving change to what matters not only to your firm, but also to the people that are doing the work and the people that, that, that you're doing the work for. Um, if, if, if you're not aligning to that, then, um, you know, why are we even doing it? Uh, you know, uh, I, I have project after project after project that I, I can cite it as an example where the, you'll have some product owner or some, some person who thinks that they know the answer for the people doing the work. So they make all the decisions. So now you've, you built this huge system and when you roll it out, nobody understands it, nobody likes it because the people who were close to doing the work weren't involved. Well, if you can get the people close to the work involved in a specific thing and they have buy-in, then you're going to get a better design and a better, uh, better end result. Um, so, for instance, there's a great story out there uh, about the basketball team, uh, Orlando Magic. And what they really were looking to do was, was optimize their, the renewals of their season ticket holders. But instead of just saying, oh, we're going to do incentive or we're going to do a sale or that kind of stuff – the first thing they did was sit down to understand the, the most influential reasons ticket holders renewed or not. And then they started to take specific actions to align with supporting those areas. And, and so um, instead of just, you know, doing spreadsheet uh, based reports and pulling metrics of who's renewed, who's not renewed. Um, what they did was they, they got department leads, uh, new reports that essentially gave them um, time back for higher value work since they didn't have to wrangle with these spreadsheets uh, and do all these repetitive tasks that could be automated. And so they started to arm their people in order to make better decisions and to find what the leading um, indicators were for why people weren't renewing their season tickets and getting ahead of that. So it's a perfect example of of if we know what we're trying to go after, so the specific goal is to drive revenue. How are we going to do it? We're going to optimize season ticket holder renewal. Well, what are the metrics? Well, why are the reasons that they're not renewing? Put in a process to help with that and then measure, did it work? And if not, you continue to refine your metrics until you start to get your your insights-driven approach. So that is essentially how it works from goals to questions to metrics and then the data. And we will wrap up uh, with our final segment right after this break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change 
and immediately incorporate customer feedback. Build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CA PPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for this final segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday. We've, we've been talking about, you know, really driving better decisions and, and, and using Agile to, to help uh, do value-based delivery. And so I want to sum up what we've talked about. We, we talked about goals, uh, setting clear goals, asking business questions that we can answer, identifying the metrics that's going to help us track those so that we can understand the data that we need in a system to move um, or automate or whatever. Um, to, to help, you know, with, with our business goals. But, you know, the, the promise of Agile, what, what you'll hear out there when people take an Agile approach is that they want things faster. Well, the work is the work. And, and you know, I, I get into this conversation a lot with, with people that are switching to an Agile methodology, and they'll say, well, whether, you know, if I'm, if I'm you know, cleaning 60 accounts or 6,000 accounts, the work's the same. And it's not. There's an infinite an exponential growth. If we need to build an analytics platform, um, you know, we need to build it all out so everybody gets the benefit. That's not true. Really what Agile is doing is not doing the work faster. It's organizing the work and aligning the work so that we could start the value chain back faster. So for, for example, if we're talking about, you know, we've got a data marketing area and we want to run a specific campaign and, you know, there's 30,000 accounts that we have to go to. Well, why not focus on, you know, Florida first, knock out Florida, let the Florida people start using the information and even providing feedback on whether or not it's beneficial while we start to clean something else up. And so essentially, if, if we can enable it, so if you would think in, in this 
instance, right? Analytics project takes 18 months. Um, and traditional project management says it's after the 18th month before we start to obtain value, right? And that's what goes into your return on investment calculations. What we're saying now is, all right, it's still 18 months to do the work, but we're going to organize it in such a way that month seven, some of the users can start to grab value. And by month nine, you know, half the users and by month 12 more, right? But, but it's all about aligning it to where the value starts to come in and we start to generate uh, the results sooner, not necessarily that the work is done faster. And, and so the promise of Agile is really helping executives align uh, around how their success is, is mutually valuable, right? If you, if you look at a sales and marketing leader, right, they, they're, they're accountable um, for, for, you know, driving revenue while justifying the, the marketing spend. Well, if you look at an IT director, um, they, they have to drive cost-effective leadership and support of the applications and the infrastructure, security, scalability, availability, that kind of stuff. So if you have those two people in the same room talking about specifics of their challenges, then the IT director can see, you know, how, when, you know, or, you know basically see not only the, the how, but the why that the sales and marketing person is successful in increasing revenue. And that some of that revenue will come back for both of them, right, for investment. And the sales and marketing director can see how clear communication of the group's focus on actions drives outcomes. And that helps the IT director better understand, you know, the data and technology needs that, that the sales and marketing director needs. So it's, you know, before what would really happen is sales and marketing would have to try to decide what their technology challenges are going to be. And then they would just throw that over the wall to IT and say, go implement. Here in an agile world, the, the two areas are working together. And that goes all the way down to the team. So at each level, when you're doing the questions and the goals and the metrics and the data, you your team needs to be comprised of both people who, who can perform the work and automation and, and do the technology drive as well as the business people who can help understand the data and what it is that we're doing. That's the promise of Agile, gang. It's not getting faster. It's better communication between business and IT. It's allowing us to pivot faster to market conditions. And it's enabling the, the outcome of the project to happen sooner, but it, it doesn't make it faster. What I think makes it faster um, at the end of the day, when you're looking at things, is the proof of the hypothesis. So if you're doing, you know, hypothesis-driven work, then you can do it manually to validate the hypothesis before we put any kind of spend against it in terms of infrastructure applications. That's what happens faster is that we're proving that it works or we're proving that it doesn't work, and we're coming to that um, in, a, in a better framework than, you know, figuring out at the end of an 18-month project that we didn't design it in a way that was going to benefit the business. Um, that's really the promise. So hopefully this has helped. That's the framework. We take your goal. We make sure that we know the, the three or four business questions we're going to answer. We've identified what the metrics are that we're going to track and how to track them. And, and we've identified how we're going to continue to track them for continuous improvement which then gets us to the data layer of what do we need to really pull this off and do we have it available? That is the, 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 the business of Agile to me. Um, and so hopefully that's helped um, because that's what we're 
helping organizations with every day is how to navigate this framework, how to, how to set it up, um, and how to become more insight-driven uh, and laser-focused with the, the few resources we have, which at the end of the day accomplishes my favorite goal, which is work-life balance. We're working on the right activities at the right time with known outcomes um, versus you know, picking 17 projects in the beginning of the year and hoping that, that we can get them all done. So that's it for the show this week. Next week, uh, super excited. We're, we're going to have Daryl Rivers um, uh, on the phone uh, with us or, or on the show. And uh, Daryl is, is absolutely 100% um, one, of, one of the best people that I know. And uh, he, he's, he's been an uh, uh, undercover detective in Detroit. He's part of SWAT and, and now works with police departments on de-escalation techniques on top of also helping business owners understand how to communicate better and stronger. So uh, Daryl's just a wealth of knowledge, got incredible stories. It's absolutely going to be an entertaining show uh, next week. Uh, the week after that, I will be taking off for my work-life balance. We're actually uh, been invited to Prague uh, to do a presentation. And so I'll be taking my lovely wife. It'll be uh, our anniversary while we're there. So excited about that. And then we will be back live March 1st. So, Hopefully, you guys had an entertaining hour. Um, always reach out to me at, at Rick A. Morris on Facebook or Rick at RickAMorris.com um, or rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. We appreciate you listening to the show, and we hope that you're living your own work-life balance, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.